Welcome back to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and on today's episode, I'll be talking with Quest Diagnostics, which is one of the leading companies within the medical lab services market. But first, I wanted to remind our listeners that we have officially postponed our 2020 Global Connected Aircraft Summit until June 2021. We will have details very soon about transitioning our physical in-person event into an online version, so be sure to check out our website, www.gcasummit.com, for updates. On this episode, we're focusing on Quest Diagnostics, which is a company that provides medical and scientific diagnostic testing. They have over 900 MDs and PhDs on their staff, and they also have labs located throughout the United States, especially located within the major metropolitan areas of the U.S. They also have about 2,000 patient locations, and labs are also located outside of the U.S. in Ireland, India, and Mexico as well. Earlier this week, I caught up with Scott Borton, who leads their flight operations division, and we discussed the unique way that their flight operations is structured, as well as how their pilots are flying on a nightly basis right now with the goal of collecting medical samples and specimens and delivering them to their labs for analysis. A lot of this flying is in support of samples collected that are going through COVID-19 related diagnostic testing. We also discussed what type of aircraft they use and I also had to ask Scott whether or not their aircraft feature any type of in-flight connectivity as that is you know, one of the core topics that we focus on our podcast regularly. So let's get into today's discussion with Quest Diagnostics. Scott, if you could first just give us an introduction to who Quest Diagnostic is as a organization and also your role with the organization as well. So uh, Quest Diagnostics is one of the leading providers in diagnostic testing for uh, for uh, specimen testing as we see it's out there uh, doing a lot of the work with the COVID-19 as well. Uh, my role within the organization, I'm the director of National Air Logistics. So I'm responsible for what we have as an internal, uh, basically an airline called Quest Air. Uh, consists of about 80 employees within the organization, consisting of uh, pilots, mechanics, we have dispatchers, uh, we have administrative staff, and uh, based in four different locations throughout the country, and uh, running three different aircraft types as well. So with that fleet, we move our internal specimens. Uh, It's all scheduled. Uh, We move it strategically into the labs uh, from a like a uh, uh, timing is critical for the, the flow of specimens that arrive in the lab to be uh, tested and uh, resulted out for the next morning for uh, for what are is critical patient care. Yeah, and you know I came across uh, your organization via a really interesting article published by a uh, organiz- uh, company called Ars Technica, uh, talking about uh, not only you know what you all do with the COVID nineteen. Uh, data, but but also just as an organ- organization outside of that as well. Um, could you tell us a little bit about those three aircraft types you mentioned? W- what type of aircraft are you flying right now? Sure. So uh, our main aircraft that we uh, that we utilize, and we have nine PC-12 aircraft. They're Pilatus. Uh, they're uh, made in Switzerland. So they're they're kind of uh, they're a single engine turboprop, and they uh, uh, 
Um, we have, uh, again, nine of those. We're running nine Baron aircraft, which are more uh, smaller piston aircraft, which uh, uh, are in low volume work. And then for some of our uh, extended uh, legs, which we need the speed and or you know, the ability to go over the mountains, we have five Phenom 100 uh, little jets that we utilize as well. Uh, very interesting aircraft type and fleet mix. And can you tell us, what are those aircraft normally used for and how are they supporting the transport of uh, some COVID-19 uh, specimens for Quest Labs for analysis? So with uh, those those aircraft, uh, uh, we're doing approximately 88 flights every night. So every night that uh, we launch, uh, uh, we're doing scheduled routes throughout our system that uh, is very consistent uh, and, uh, um, and go every night. So that moves our... Uh, all of our uh, specimens throughout our Quest network under normal conditions. And then, of course, with the uh, introduction of COVID, it kind of it was seamless to us because everything's packaged accordingly to accept uh, specimens like COVID. So it's very uh, uh, everything was more or less status quo for us with regard to implementing the COVID specimens within the Quest Air system. However, though, you know, of course, you know, understanding that it's a pandemic and uh, the team environment, everybody really uh, – from from you know, the entire team within Quest Air and also the uh, the ground logistics laboratory folks, uh, everybody coming together. Are you primarily flying into general aviation airports, or are you also sharing some of the airports with you know some of the bigger commercial airlines? Um, we do both, uh, but probably uh, we we go into some of the smaller airports uh, that get us closer to where our laboratories will be and. Uh, you know, with our operations being at night, so we can go into the bigger airports and not really have any issues with delays. So it's not necessarily a uh, uh, we would look at, but it's more of just trying to get as close to the laboratories as we can. You know, one of the most interesting things I, I did read in the article uh, covering your operations, especially during this time, was that um, you all try to get your aircraft turned around within 20 minutes. So if it's landing and then has to go to another airport, your turnaround time, you try to keep that to about 20 minutes. Now, can, can you kind of take us through what, what are the logistics of, of trying to do that type of turnaround time? Yep, so that's really where the team comes in, men of the pilots, the dispatchers, because uh, dispatch is coordinating directly with our ground logistics. And like I had mentioned earlier, it is like clockwork. For, for most of the, uh, uh, for the most case, but, uh, you know, of course you throw in weather or anything like that, that could, uh, implement a delay. Uh, that's where the communication comes in. So ideally you want to have the, uh, the, the driver waiting for the pilot as they land. Uh, you don't want to, you know, uh, fly the airplane in and then wait half an hour for a driver. So it's important that uh, the driver's there waiting kind of like, you know, we described earlier it was a, uh, it's like a pit crew. So when we land, we pull in and, uh, the driver's pulling up to the airplane, and we're getting fuel at the same time, and uh, we're doing our uh, exchanges, and it's uh, they're all direct handoffs, so it's going from one of our pilot employees to one of our driver employees as well, so uh, that, that chain of custody is very critical, but, uh, you know, we look at it where, you know, we typically turn on a 20-minute turn, and in some cases, if you just to kind of draw a scenario, if we're doing six stops, and you add 10 minutes to every stop, you just added an hour delay to the laboratory, which can be pretty significant. So those turnarounds are, are, are crucial. And, uh, you know, to our, what we look at is our turnaround time at the end of the day for the, uh, uh, for the, uh, being tested. 
Yeah, and it really is interesting to understand this is kind of like a, a NASCAR pit stop. Uh, I mean, and, and you have to sometimes get maintenance done on some of those aircraft. Now, have you all taken any steps to, you know, one of the things that we, you know, have extensively covered in the commercial airline world is the effort to do things like predictive maintenance and sort of acquire data from your aircraft, understand what systems may be approaching fail so that you can kind of replace them before that happens in the air or would cause an aircraft on ground situation. Have you all taken any steps to, to sort of uh, improve your, your operations on that side? So, uh, and that, that's uh, a great question. And they, uh, you know, our aircraft aren't really aren't that sophisticated where they have all the internal uh, um, uh, measures that are, are, are doing that. But uh, what we do on the, uh, uh, on a daily basis is every time when our airplanes come back to home base after they've flown each night, uh, we do, uh, we have a maintenance staff that's looking over every airplane and they're doing what they call a post flight. So that airplane comes in and, and they're doing a post flight, looking at airplane over. And so we're looking for those items. Plus we do track them internally where we have high fail rates that we, uh, uh, on certain items that we'll keep an eye on. And, uh, what we do is we, we, we keep track of everything as far as the, the time when the last uh, component was changed and where we see the, the fail rates at. And then we kind of go with a conservative number and change them out proactively because it's, it's critical, as you described, when these airplanes leave to start the runs, that they finish the runs as well. So and mechanicals would uh, certainly impact that. So we, we work real hard to, to minimize those for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it is interesting, you know, you, you kind of drew the comparison between the systems on your aircraft type versus the more sophisticated airliners or, or corporate jets. Um, now, are your pilots using any type of like iPads or, or electronic flight bags as well on these flights to, and, and does that also kind of help the efficiency of your operation? Yeah, so that as we have gone to iPads, have really changed the world for pilots. That's for sure. You know, taking all those manuals and, and charts and such, and, and uh, compacted them into iPads. So pilots have uh, issued iPads, uh, and so you have all of the uh, the charts necessary for all the navigation and uh, um, in there as well. We all of our uh, the uh, each leg is tracked through the iPad as well. So uh, that all becomes real-time type information for maintenance. So um, uh, as each leg gets logged, it's, it's pushing it into uh, a system that's driving those numbers into the aircraft, which drive the uh, inspections and such. So uh, we do utilize them as much as we can right now with that type of technology and uh, certainly looking to expand on that as the technology continues to improve and we can integrate it into our system. I have to ask a follow-up question on that. You mentioned real-time. Um, so are you saying like, you know, maybe in air that sometimes pilots are able to maybe communicate uh, with your maintenance techs via the iPad or, um, or are they kind of capturing most of that data once, once the aircraft lands? And they have to capture that data once the aircraft lands. It's something that uh, we, we continue to uh, look for, having that ability to communicate uh, while we're in the air, because uh, that adds a... Uh, there's, there's an advantage to that for our dispatch as well. Certainly if we need to divert an airplane or if an airplane's diverting and we need to notify dispatch, that becomes, uh, uh, those are, are, are good tools to have. So for now, what we're communicating with air traffic control. So if a pilot's diverting to another airport, you know, being that night, things are quiet. Uh, they're usually receptive to uh, make a phone call for us to let our dispatch know. So, um, 
so in those cases, we're not able to take take advantage of the technology, but certainly um, uh, looking for that technology to to kind of get to the price point for us. You know, to, uh, our airplanes, uh, it's, it's not at a price point where it makes sense to have Wi-Fi in the aircraft for our small airplane. You know, I also have to ask you this, is that um, during this time, you know, starting in early March, I mean, we almost just saw passenger traffic just take a very significant nosedive. But on the air cargo side, you know, I, I last week just interviewed uh, Frankfurt International Airport. They're still seeing about 250 car air cargo flights a day. Um, and, you know, organizations like yourself have to keep flying during this time, even though there are big travel restrictions. What is just, you know, from an operational point of view, even landing at the airport, trying to prevent the transmission of COVID-19, what has been just the biggest operational change for, for you all? Yeah, so what we see probably the, the first and foremost that uh, it is, uh, well, when, we, when we're flying at night, typically uh, yeah, that's when the cargo airplanes are flying. So those are still up there. But you do see that it is, uh, uh, the traffic is down. So that, um, what we see is that we get direct to our destinations much more often than, than having to fly the whole route. So we're able to uh, more or less cut corners there. So we see that happening um, at some of the airports or at most airports, really, you know, you do see everybody is uh, their minimal staff. Everybody's uh, uh, they're, uh, you know, wearing protective face masks and things like that to help, you know, uh, to be able to come to work and keep everyone safe. And uh, uh, that's probably been our biggest, uh, just seeing people taking those precautions. But then uh, the staffing has been down uh, in some of those locations as well. So, uh, but uh, it's been running pretty seamless for us so far. And I also wanted to get a little bit more into the transport of the specimens and, and the, you know, sort of you all's mission and, and what you're trying to accomplish on these flights as well. Um, and I, I've read in the article that you all came up with your own containers uh, because at the, at the time that you came up with them, the, there just wasn't anything on the market to transport what you all are transport. Can you talk to us a little bit about that as well? It's obviously a, a smaller aircraft type that you're flying, but some very you know precious and, and important cargo there in the cabins. What is that process like? I mean, have you all done anything to those cabins to support um, the, the type of cargo that you're transporting? So what we've done is, uh, so all of our aircraft are converted to 100% uh, uh, cargo, so uh, no seats in the back. And uh, and so with that, you know, it's uh, as we continue to grow in volume, uh, space becomes uh, a valuable, very valuable resource. So that's where we uh, um, uh, went ahead and designed the uh, soft-sided packaging. So it's all thermal protected, and basically we ship in three different uh, temperature uh, types. Even in our frozen specimens with dry ice in the bags, uh, we're able to maintain the integrity of the specimens for up to uh, uh, a minimum of 24 hours in that packaging. So, so that maintains the thermal protection, plus it also um, gives us the ability to kind of squeeze the air out of the bags where it's uh, instead of being a rigid box where you start chewing up uh, space pretty quickly, we're able to uh, basically we're able to reduce our volumes by almost 50% uh, inside the airplanes, which again gave us back some valuable uh, real estate in those airplanes. One of the things that was mentioned in the Ars Technica article is that you all tried to get to your destination uh, at a certain point so that you can get lab results 
to those who need them by 8 a.m. the next morning. Um, can you tell us a, bit, a little bit about that as well? Because the logistics, you know, that's <laughs> most most people are probably sleeping during the hours where, where you all are, are working the most. How, how does that work exactly? Sure. So it's an interesting uh, time frame. So that's where it's, uh, you know, we have airline traffic that moves during the daytime and we can move some of our work through uh, through the airlines. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the FedEx UPS models are, are more uh, later at night. We kind of fit in right before uh, that window. So yeah, essentially, uh, our couriers are out uh, picking up uh, from uh, doctor's offices and hospitals and such. And then all that consolidation starts taking place in the evening hours in the 6 p.m. And that's where we start flying. So what we're doing is gathering all the specimens and most of our flights uh, from a high level, just looking at it from a high level are in by say 2 a.m. So if we can get those uh, those samples into the laboratory by 2 a.m., they can be tested and resulted by 8 a.m. So uh, so it, it, theoretically, you know, if you went in uh, today for um, to, to provide a sample, that result uh, should be available by 8 a.m. the next day. So that's our that's our goal, and that's kind of what that mission is for the the Quest Air flights. That right, and you know, like we said, it's a really important mission that you're supporting right now. How much, you know, if if you could kind of look at the volume of flights you're doing right now, how many of those are just related to transporting, um, you know, specimens that are related to supporting results for COVID nineteen analysis. It's uh, it's interesting because obviously you know some of our volume did go down because uh, people uh, you know most folks are not going to the doctors for their regular testing so we have seen those testing volumes go down but then there's the COVID testing has gone up so realistically within our uh, uh, within our space inside the airplanes we have seen um, a slight decrease because of just on how much volume went away but then. The COVID testing has made up uh, for quite a bit of that, and it's hard to say exactly what the percentage would be, but, uh, but we do see them uh, within pretty much all of our flights, and uh, uh, a lot of that work is mixed in. So, Okay, and so I have to ask you before we let you go, moving forward, just, you know, as, as the, you know, the rest of the country and the rest of the world just tries to get back to a sense of normalcy and continues to work from home, um, all these social distancing kind of rules that have been implemented, what are you all's kind of focus just moving forward, uh, you know, supporting this mission to combat the spread of COVID-19? Can you just kind of give us a focus for the next few months or so? For We're, we're not a large you know, organization within Quest, and we do quite a bit of work there. So keeping our, making sure our people stay diligent with, uh, you know, in facial protection and uh, the, and using hand sanitizer, staying staying clean, watching what they're doing at home as well is critical because if we start, you know, we start getting employees that get sick and we start losing those uh, uh, those valuable employees to, for this Quest Air mission, you know, then the mission starts getting compromised. So, um, you know, we have regular meetings all the time. We're talking about it. We're looking at better ways to improve uh, within our facilities, within our aircraft, wiping them down. We're doing a tremendous amount of work there, just keeping everything sanitary, keeping everybody uh, healthy. And I think that's probably the biggest thing moving forward to kind of get us out of this is uh, is continue doing our mission, which is uh, uh, getting as much testing done as, as, as possible. And at the same time, keeping everybody healthy through the process. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. 
If you have suggestions for topics we should focus on in upcoming episodes, the easiest way to reach out to me is on Twitter at WBellamy3AC, or you can also find my email address in the description of this podcast episode as well. If you are listening to us on Apple iOS devices, please leave a rating or comment for us there as well, as it greatly helps us to improve the episodes moving forward. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. Mm-hmm.